The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. One of the most uh, amazing and common marks of a follower of Jesus in New Testament times was joy. So it was wonderful of the Lord to release a little joy in here this morning so that Charlie and I would feel at home because our church in Houston is one of the most joyful, sometimes embarrassingly crazy, exuberant, uh, scary churches that you could imagine. Uh, And um, I'm kind of low-key, so that's always kind of a stretch for me, but I do have to admit that it says in the Bible that you can be filled with inexpressible joy. (laughs) And so... uh, Charlie is my beauty from ashes. Those of you who know my story know that she became part of my story in a rather surprising way. I'm not going to take the time to tell how we met and all that, except it was on a ministry trip, and I was not looking for a bride, and she was not looking for a husband. Uh, so, But God was looking to bring beauty out of the ashes that uh, my family and I experienced, and Charlie's that beauty. The other thing you need to know about her, she's very prophetic, so if she walks up to you and starts looking at you, you better get ready. And uh, there's also, I can't think of a week lately that hasn't gone by that somebody hasn't been healed when she's prayed for them. Most of the time in a boutique or a nail salon, but sometimes in a Kohl's or, no, I don't know if that's ever happened, but wherever she goes, uh, ministry of healing flows and deliverance. And... uh, so yesterday, before, and I don't know how long I'm supposed to go, but I, I think we're not going to beat the Baptist today, probably. Um, but I promise, if it gets boring, I'll stop. Uh, but yesterday, we trained uh, several of the leaders here in uh, praying for the sick, and, and you've already all been doing that, but um, I thought the first thing we need to do is kind of put that into practice. So um, that was, I didn't think that. The Lord thought that was the thing. So I'm just listening. So um, one of the things that we said, now there's, there's something the Lord reminded me of this morning. How many of you have ever heard this scripture? And this is not in my notes, so who knows where I'm going to go. But uh, how many of you have ever heard the scripture, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay. Now, what you need to know about that scripture, because I, what, what I saw um, the, the, prophetically is I, I saw how some of you have stood and stood and stood and stood and stood <coughs> resisting. And, um, and, and you're waiting for that breakthrough, whether it's for healing or provision or something. Maybe someone else is healing for a family member who needs to come to go. But you're just standing. And um, I, think, I think God wants to encourage us by letting you know what that word means. That word means to take a stand. It's stand against. And it, the, the, the tense of it is a word that means to literally do it once and, and stand there. Now, if you were the devil, and none of you are, okay, even if somebody suggested that at one point, uh, if you were the devil and you had a, you know, you saw a believer who was contending for something, would you run away the first time they took the stand? No. 
So when you look at your life and you see things that are pushing back against you, whether it's for healing or whatever, it's not God's reluctance. It's not some magic pill that you haven't found yet, some lever to pull, some button to push. It's the resistance of an enemy who's, who's also pushing back against you. And, that, and, and you say, well, why doesn't God just blow him out of the way? Well, how are you going to learn your authority and your position in him if God just... I mean, how would a child ever learn to walk if you carried him everywhere? How would, you, how would your child learn to think? And I, I'm kind of guilty of this because I used to write John's papers for him. Not really, but he doesn't remember this. But he'd ask me to correct his papers and I'd get carried away and I'd, he'd, he'd have to come and remind me. You don't remember that, do you? But, uh, and and I, I real, finally realized, wait a minute, if he's going to learn how to write a paper, his English teacher, professor, father better stop this. And um, it's that same thing. God is standing. When you take a stand against the enemy, this was not what I planned to start with. When you take a stand against the enemy, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit of God is standing right there with you. Yesterday, I reminded the, the teams that were there, when the devil looks at you, what does he see? He sees infinite power. When it, that's why Charlie and I don't ever get afraid anymore when demons show up, which they usually do in our services. Um, and uh, Because we know that when they look at us, they're scared to death. Because they see infinite power. They see the Holy Spirit of God in us. And so when I'm taking a stand... I'm not waiting for God to finally break through. He's already promised to do that. Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. I'm taking a stand against an enemy who's testing to see if I will stay put, that I'll stand there and wait and persist. And when the time is right, when the character and strength, when I've learned to walk, the amount I need to walk at that point, the breakthrough will come. I'm convinced that Sometimes we lose the battle because we give up the battle. As long as I'm still standing, I'm still winning. I'm still waiting for the victory. Now, why did I say that before we're going to pray for people to be healed? I think you can probably figure that out. The woman with the issue of blood waited 12 years before she touched the hem of the garment. Uh, There was another lady that Jesus said that Satan had kept her bound for what? 16 or 18 years. And um, don't you think they got discouraged? but they were still going after what God had promised, put in their heart. They took a stand, and it was a standing against the enemy and waiting for him to flee. It doesn't say he'll flee immediately, but it says he will run. You get that? Okay, so how many of you this morning would like a healing? Uh, we, uh, We had some people healed yesterday. Is there anybody in the room that needs healing? Uh, Get your hands up there. Uh, And now the team that was with me yesterday, you know what you need to do. We're not going to take a long time because Jesus didn't like pray for 40 minutes. And then, you know, if he did that, he'd still be praying for people to be healed. He healed thousands. With a word, with the authority, he comes against the disease and it leaves. So now let me tell you something. Is this okay what I'm doing? It's too bad. It's too late. this is why I'm everywhere Charlie and I go. Let me tell you, let me warn you something. I don't think the kingdom of God is about talk. I think it, Jesus said, or Paul said, it's power. So we expect when we go, not because of us, but because of who he is, that when we come, power will be released. 
I read that scripture in 1 Corinthians 5 one time that says, and when you come together and the power of the Lord is present, and I, went, I said, that's what I expect the, the gathered church to experience, the power of God. So the power of God is here to heal. The power of God is here to encourage. The power of God is here to, to strengthen, encourage, even reveal things. But I, I need to tell you, yesterday when we talked about healing, there's some things that can hinder healing. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, God cares so much about your heart that he won't heal your body usually until he heals your heart. You, Joe, just get that one. So you do a little heart scan. Say, Lord, is there any bitterness? Is there anything in my heart? Then you, you, you just kind of, okay. I don't, some, and I'm not suggesting that it's easy, but if there's anyone you need to forgive or re-forgive if you're being prayed for today, or even if you're not, still a good idea. The Bible says get rid of all that. Second hindrance is shame and guilt. If you can't lay hold of the fact that you've been forgiven, you might say that. I just still feel ashamed. Sometimes unconfessed sin, something that makes you feel unworthy of God's healing, will block the healing. But it can be taken through, care of in a moment. Are you with me? There are some other things that I'm not going to worry about right now, but, but those two I always like to bring up so that the Holy Spirit can do a little heart scan in you. So if you're, if you're feeling like God would heal everybody except you, that means there's some shame or some guilt or something that the Lord wants to heal first before he heals your body. Got all that? That was instant healing teaching number 101. So if, you're, if, you're, if you need a touch on your body or just somebody to agree with you, get your hands up. And the team, those who were present uh, with me yesterday, I know who you are. Uh, I have a few more minutes to talk just a little while about the things that really deeply change us. One of the things, you know, I've been a pastor. This is scary. I've been a pastor for 43 years. 44 years, sorry. And one of the things that perplexed me over the years is how some people can become believers and followers of Jesus and go to church and they're just amazingly transformed and and other people can go to church for 40 years and be just the same and so part of uh, part of the most important thing I know about the Christian walk is to be curious say in other words Lord could you show me what's going on here and one of those times I did that and just kind of said okay God I, you know what's the difference between people who attend church for years and pretty much unchanged and those who are deeply being transformed and it led to this message and it's a blog and but here's what I found there's 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 more than this but there's seven characteristics of people whose lives are being deeply transformed being changed by the power of God and the love of God and I'm going to go over each one really quickly and then I'll go back and focus on one in particular okay this is the teacher part of me the prophet will probably show up again, but here's what I found. I found that I discovered that those whose lives are deeply changing, number one, they got the basics. And there's I, I asked for the scripture, um, Acts two thirty eight and thirty nine. This is the very first Christian sermon that was ever preached. It's, it is. It's the first sermon, and this is Peter. 
And they asked after he'd preached this amazing sermon, what do we do, you know, to, to become saved and part of this that you're talking about? Look what he said. Repent, be baptized, and that means in water, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, a friend and I were flying to Papua New Guinea, well, first to Australia, and then to Papua New Guinea to do ministry, Pastor Steve Shell. And it's a long flight, like 15 hours from L.A. to Sydney, okay, Australia. So we had plenty of time to talk. We slept a little, we talked a lot. And one of the things we talked about is, why is it sometimes so hard to make disciples of believers today? And here's what, to cut to the chase, what we discovered is that the early church, there were four characteristics of everybody who was being called to be a disciple after Pentecost. Number one, they had repented. When, when, when we make the invitation to come to Jesus, it, uh, it, they, it was very clear that there was a turning from and a turning to, a change of thinking, a change of direction. We don't do such a good job of that sometimes. We kind of have repentance sneak up on people afterwards. <laughs> you know, Jesus will come and make your life beautiful, save you from hell, etc. And oh, by the way, he's Lord and he wants everything. So one of the things that, and Steve and I both made a commitment that when we got back, we were going to change how we taught and how we spoke on these basics. So repentance, the, the understanding that when you come to the Lord, you hand over the keys to your life. Here you go. The earliest church confession was Jesus is not my savior, although that's true. What was it? It's Jesus is my boss. So, and, and I'm trusting this. Will, so if that's not part of how you understand your walk, then that could be a hindrance to being deeply transformed. The second thing, of course, was baptism in water. Now, you don't have to be baptized in water to be saved. I grew up in a denomination that believed that. You don't need that to be saved. But it does mark or seal something in us that says, I'm serious about this and I'm identifying with the kingdom, the community. The third thing was that we realized that... Um, they, the early believers understood that their salvation, their standing before God, their being born again, was absolutely only and completely on the basis of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, a believer, somebody who is believing, and it might be better to say a truster, one who is trusting, is trusting all the time, every moment, every second only in Jesus for being accepted to the Lord. Are you getting this? It's total collapse on what Jesus has done. In other words, as a believer, if you're trusting in how hard you're praying, how well you're reading the Bible, how well you're serving Him, you've moved away from what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, don't feel guilty about that. This is good news. It means that you're always saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says that. I don't know if that will pop up there or not. But it did. Look at that. That's amazing. By grace through faith. Not from yourselves. It's a gift from... 
Everybody say that with me because you, if you look at God's face right now and you're a believer, what are you going to see? You're going to see a frown or you're going to see a smile? You're going to see a smile because you're saved. You're completely covered over with the righteousness of God and it's by grace through faith. And faith is simply, it's best to just say trusting. It's just trusting. By grace through trusting. So that was the third thing. And then the last one we discovered was every New Testament believer was baptized in the Holy Spirit. They knew the power of God. And so Steve went back and he had a large church, a couple of thousand members, and he just started teaching these basics. And he started having leaders come up, and leaders in his church come up and say, Steve, I think I finally got born again today. Now, this is a four square church, it's kind of scary. But it's the first, some, it was the first time some of his people understood that you're always saved only by grace, through faith, through trusting in Jesus. Which is incredibly good news. Because it means that on any given morning when you wake up and you look at yesterday and you go, oh, oh, I didn't do so good. That it doesn't matter. It matters in the sense that God wants to change you. That's what this message is about, right? But it doesn't matter in terms of your standing before God. Did you know that God loves you just as much in, in the middle of your worst possible sin as he does when you're singing praise to him? Now, he's a little concerned about you in that moment. But not concerned and worried. He's just concerned for you because he loves you. Are you with me? If you can get this, that God loves you just as much in the midst of your failure as he does in your greatest success then you're starting to get the gospel so so steve went back and started doing that and and all four of these aspects repentance real trust water baptism baptism in the spirit you know what happened revival broke out in his church because he he was now working with people who were starting where every new testament believer started so that's number one and i'm already running out of time. So I won't spend any more time on that. But number two, that was characteristic number one of people who are deeply being deeply changed. Number two and is people who are being deeply changed are always increasing in their intimacy with God. I'll come back to that one because that's my passion. It's God's passion too. Number three, this one may be shocking. People who are being deeply changed live in safe, loving, caring community with other believers. You cannot isolate and become a healthy believer in the, fall, in, the, in the kingdom. The New Testament was written in the plural. All those promises to you are to you and your brothers and sisters. All those admonitions about you, and this is incredibly good news. When it talks about the things that we're called to do, the changes in our life, those are plural. In their, their com, plural commands. So it means when it says to Shane, hey Shane, you know, straighten out your life, brother. It's not saying that in the sing. I'm just kidding, but you, you know what I... When it says those things like put off and put on and all that, it's plural. So it means as Tom and John and... Your beautiful bride are standing with you together. Learn how for your sake and for God's sake 
to put off this and put on this. Do you hear the difference? So it's not me and God alone and isolated on the mountain, you know. It's always meant for us to be in community. Now that means we have to create for one another a safe community. And that, and that's not guaranteed in church, okay? But it's if you've ever heard of the book Bose Cafe, it's a Bose Cafe kind of environment where people, the more transparent we are, the more deeply we're protected and accepted. I've never seen, I work a lot with all kinds of people, of course, but I work a lot with men who struggle with addictions and so forth and so on. And I've never seen a single one of them get free. Well, maybe one rare exception, but even that was in, I've never seen one of them get free apart from community where they could be absolutely transparent with their failures. How do you produce the fruit of the Spirit if you don't have others to practice on? Think about it. The, fruit, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. What do you need in order to demonstrate, grow in that fruit? Somebody unlovable to love. Well, not always, but are you with me? Okay, so community. Discipleship, transformation requires us to live at a depth of life on life. My life pouring into yours, yours pouring into me. Me trusting my life with you. You trusting your life with me. There's all different kinds of ways that the church can help create that, but you have to have a commitment to it. If you don't have a brother or a sister who, whom you feel absolutely safe with, start praying for one and God will provide. And hopefully a band of brothers, a band of sisters. Are you with me? I'm in full teaching mode, but I'm not making any... Because this is my first shot in 10 years. And these, these are hugely important because these are the things that a, four, a man who's been in ministry for 40-some years has discerned are the things that lead to deep transformation. That was number three, community. Number four, people who are, who are deeply transformed understand that agreeing with Scripture is not the same as obeying Scripture. There's something about American Christians, and I'm not, I didn't figure this out. Bill Johnson said it once, and I thought, man, that is so true. But there's something about us that we think if we agree that we've done it. And that ain't so. <laughs> That's simply not true. You know, James chapter 1 talks about the person who looks, you know, looks into God's word and then walks away and forgets. Is like somebody looking in a mirror who doesn't do anything while they're looking. You know, oh, bully, and then walks away. Of course, if you have hair like mine, you don't have to do anything. What little hair is there? Okay, so number four, understand that Scripture and, and the words that God speaks to your heart, it, it doesn't, it's, agreeing is a good place to start, but by the grace of, by grace through faith, we follow through. Okay? Number five, people who are being deeply transformed do whatever it takes to get healed up. Early in my ministry, this was the missing component. I didn't know about inner healing. I didn't know about deliverance. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so I'd be encouraging people to get better and better and they'd stay the same and they'd stay the same. And the reason was because they were so badly traumatized or hurt as children 
that they couldn't get past their, their pain. So they get stuck. And some of them, quite frankly, were, were held captive by demonic strongholds. So, but I noticed that people who get deeply changed and who don't get stuck do whatever it takes. In 2008, long, a couple of years after I left here, I went to LL Ministries in Canada for two weeks of training and I had them do a scan on me and set me free from anything that would hinder. And I was quite shocked at what was still clinging in my life. And I'm still under revision, as Charlie well knows. But we do whatever it takes to get free from the things that, wo- that have wounded us, the things that bind us. That's number five. Number six. Are these helpful? They're also on a blog, which I'll send a link to for John's and you're a note taker people who are being deeply transformed they shift away from American culture and this is how they shift they shift from consumer mode to giving mode they live in giving mode rather than consumer mode see much of our approach to ministry and I'm not saying John here because he's my son I'm not talking about this church other churches (laughs) But much of the, the, the American church approach to ministry is what's in it for you. And so people come in like shopping for Walmart. Mmm, the worship tastes pretty good here. Yeah, okay, presence of God, yeah, check a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Children's program. Now, I'm not saying we don't, shouldn't care about those things, okay? But what would it look like if we came like the New Testament church where it says in 1 Corinthians, each one came ready to give something? What if our primary excitement in coming together together was, oh man, I know God's going to do something through me for someone else. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that change the atmosphere? And that's what I've learned. I've learned that people who, who are transformed, even when they're wounded, and I know what wounded feels like, even when they're wounded, if they're still in giving mode instead of consumer mode, God changes them deeply. That's a pretty good one, huh? I learned that one by painful experience. Number seven, people who are being deeply transformed recognize that transformation is a journey, not a repair project. They were, especially us men. Now, you women is probably not true, but for us men, everything's a project. You know, if I just push the right button here, read the right scripture, go to the right place, we'll get that sucker fixed. Hallelujah. <laughs> Don't try that with your wives. <laughs> well, we do. I mean, we're, you know, we go through, I fix things, right? I, that's what I do. Even as a pastor, if, you know, something's broken around the house, I fix it. And then we call somebody to really fix it. To fix what I fix. But our walk with the Lord, the kind that leads to transformation, cannot be viewed as a series of repair projects. It's a journey with the one who loves us the most. And it's more like a father with his son saying, Son, it's, it's time now. Daughter, it's time now for us to take a look at this. It's a time for you to be stretched. It's a time for you to grow. It's a time for you to let me just hold you. 
And sometimes he does both. Sometimes I'm stretched while he's holding me. When my heart is breaking, when grief was upon me, when the world was completely confused and blown up, the thing I noticed most was two things. Number one, he held me more tightly than I could imagine. And he stretched me to keep reaching out to people, even in my brokenness. But that wasn't a repair project. That was a father loving his son. Did you get that one? It's not a repair project. It's not a series of events where you... Although sometimes we have those moments. It's a journey with the one who loves you most. Who's healing you not because you need to be healed, but because he loves you too much to leave you unhealed. Can I take couple more minutes I'm going to anyway I want to go back for a minute to number two live in increasing intimacy with God what in the world is intimacy did you know that I discovered intimacy with God while I was pastoring here in 2004 I, I talked about it. I assigned students to read about it and write reports on intimacy. But I did not have a clue about how to be intimate with anyone, let alone God, because of how I was raised. I'm the only one in the world like that. The rest of you just grew up with intimate relationships overflowing in every part of you. I didn't think so. So God had to teach me how to be intimate with him because I had no model now, I'm not suggesting that I wasn't happily married then and I'm, I'm happily married now and we're learning to be transparent and trusting and all that with one another, but I really didn't know how to be intimate with God. And so he had to show me. And here's some of the things that he had to show me, which I trust will help you. Number one, I really had to grasp grace. I had to get it. That God's... I don't even want to use the posture. God's heart for me was always one of grace. That the Bible was really true. That every morning when he greeted me, it wasn't with a list of what I'd done wrong yesterday. It was with steadfast mercy, kindness. The, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning. That when I get up in the morning and I run into God, what I run into is a father full of mercy and grace. And that's always the case. Now there, at that moment, when I turn my heart toward him, what he's doing is he's inviting me in that moment to trust him like that again. Trust his grace. Trust his mercy. We re- it's so scandalous, it's so outrageous to believe this. But the truth is, God's posture towards you, his set heart, is fully and forcefully always from grace and love. That's what I mean. If you can get, if you can run to God while you're sinning, then you're starting to get how much he loves you. Is this messing with some of you? I hope it is. 
If you can, if you can immediately turn to God after you told him you'd never do that again, and this is time number 4,367,222, and know that he just fully, Father, forgive me, and he goes, Gladly, come here, you. Let me hug you. Are you getting this? That's grace. And if we don't get it at that foundational level, then we'll never be able to be intimate with him because we'll always be thinking that he's a little bit disappointed. Because after all, I messed up. Like that's news to him. Jesus died on the cross. Now we need to confess our sins and all that. I'm not one of these hyper-grace guys that says, oh, just live your life, don't worry about anything. God wants to deeply change us because he loves us and he loves the people around us who need us to change. Right? But his posture towards us, the set of his heart, is not based on our progress in that regard. His posture is always based on the heart of a father who says, no matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter how far you run, no matter how many times you try to hide, no matter how many times you feel shame, I still love you and I want you back. And the moment you turn to me, I'm going to embrace you as if you never sinned. If I don't get that, intimacy is always just a little bit away because I'm never quite measuring up to the one who wants to embrace me. You getting this? Right now, Holy Spirit can begin to lift shame and a sense of failure off of some of you right now. Because some of you have been like that. You have, you have made your walk with Jesus a to-do list. And he wants you to throw up. Charlie and I, when we do sozo, sometimes we tear up. We have people write down all the things you think you need to do to keep God pleased with you or make God pleased. Right, honey? And then we have that person picture handing it to Jesus. And you know what Jesus does with it every time? He destroys it. He tears it up. He, well, we've seen him do it. Burns it up. It, it, it evaporates. And that's, that's a powerful way to, to understand. So whatever you're holding on to, just write it on a list right now in your mind, hand it to Jesus, and watch him blow it away. He died to do that, to remove every obstacle between you and him, you and the Father, you and the Holy Spirit. Is that a good one? That's very helpful, huh? And the enemy does not want you to remember that. He's called the accuser, so he's always pointing his finger and said, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have, you did it again, you did it again. That is not the voice of God. God knows that everybody in this room, we already know what we're doing that doesn't quite measure up. He doesn't need to remind us. What he needs to remind us of is that he loves us and he's pulling us back to himself. Try it. You'll like it. The other, and I don't have time to cover all these, but the the second part of intimacy is learn, believing that he really talks and that he likes to talk to you and with you, that he's really listening. One of the thing, one of the pictures the Lord gave me. Um, just a, not really so many years ago. When, well, it was in 2008. That is a few years ago, isn't it? Good grief. <laughs> That's what happens when you get a little older. Um, anyway, in 2008, I was somewhere. 
teaching on prayer. And in the middle of this, I, I had this picture. And it was a picture of, of uh, Jesus on one side of a table and me on the other. And we were talking about people. And as I was talking about them, say John, I'd take John and put him in the middle of the table. And we'd talk about John. Or maybe Jesus would take somebody and put him in the middle of the table when we talk about that person. I mean, really talk. I mean, I could hear what he was saying. You know, this is what's going on in their life. And that, to me, is such a beautiful picture of the kind of intimacy that God wants to have. Did you know you can get to where you can hear him? And because he wants you to hear his voice more than you want to hear his voice. How else can you be led by the Spirit if you can't be led by the Spirit? Where does the Spirit talk? In our hearts. Now, I have, you know, bucket loads of teaching on how to hear the voice of God. I can't take time for that. But we are going to pray for you for that. You can hear him so clearly and that, that you'll be amazed at how subtle. This is the God who said, I know when a sparrow falls. Okay? Jesus said that, right? He knows when a sparrow falls. He counts the number of hairs on your head. He probably knows how many molecules are, you're made of. He's deeply involved in the details of your life. And when you learn to begin to learn, live listening... You start hearing him, and he won't be just giving you correction or direction. He'll be talking to you about the things that matter, calling forth the deep fears and the deep desires in your heart. And who can't? Who, who wouldn't want to be intimate with someone like that? Amazing. So one of the things that Charlie and I are going to do is, you know, when we pray for you here in a moment, is we're going to release a new capacity, a new level to hear his voice. Some of you want that? And we're going to, by the way, when we pray, we don't just kind of think it might happen. We're kind of being surprised if it doesn't. Okay, are you getting that? Not because of us, but because of who God has revealed himself to be. Now, there are many others. The only one I'm going to talk about for a second is people who are being deeply transformed, and I mentioned this earlier, have been clothed with power. They have been filled with the Spirit. They are being filled with the Spirit like Ephesians. In other words, you're not trusting in your own resources and strengths to transform you. You are asking God, God, fill me with you. I'm so tired of trying to be me apart from you. And so we unashamedly press for power. Power to see lives change. Power in our own life. We unashamedly press for more, for more, for more, for more. Now, that power shows up and people get set free from demons and bodies are healed and wonderful things like that. But that same power is at work in me to give me insight as to how to be a better husband, a better father, a better leader, a better grandpa, a better friend, a better coach, whatever. And that's amazing, isn't it? So, we want to pray for you. The first thing I want to pray, and Charlie's going to come up here and join me, please, with the microphone. Are you all okay? You're more than okay. 
we're going to do two things here. One is for all of you, we're going to ask you to pray, and, and, and I'm going to pray three things. And um, you know what? I need a little help. So I want the people that were trained yesterday, <laughs> I want everybody touching someone. Your hand on their shoulder. Um, okay? And see, you're going to be deeply touched. Tonya, right? You're going to be deeply touched. But everyone touch someone. I mean, and so I want um, the ministry team <laughs> to move around and be, be sure that you're touching someone because you had an impartation yesterday, but nobody by themselves. And I'm going to pray. The first thing I'm going to pray is Romans 5.5. 5. Romans 5.5 5 says that the Spirit of God pours the love of God into our hearts. Some of you in this room have never felt loved by God. We're going to ask God to change that. We're going to ask him, and I'm going to contend for that. And then Charlie's going to pray for an increase in your hearing, because she hears the Lord really well. And then I'll pray for whatever the third thing is that I don't know yet, but he told me I would know when I needed to know. So are you ready? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And Father, you know that, um, <laughs> you know when I do ministry, I'm not expecting it to get noisy. I'm not, it might, that'd be okay. I just know that you're going to show up in more power, in more grace. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come right now, right now, right now, and no matter how much this person that we're touching has known your love, none at all, or a whole bunch, we ask right now, Holy Spirit, pour the Father's love, pour the Father's love into that heart. Let that person feel Love in their heart. The warmth of the Holy Spirit pouring love. The Father's love, acceptance, and even delight in that person. Thank you, Holy Spirit. More, Lord. More. Just release more of the Father's love. Thank you, Father. Break our hearts. Break our hearts with a, with a revelation of how much you delight in us and how much you're not disappointed in us. In Jesus' name, change us just by the fact that we knew and we felt the touch of your love. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for, <laughs> for the ears, Lord, the hearing ears that you've given us to hear your voice. Lord, I pray for an increase in hearing for every person here. And Lord, I know that there are those of us when we first started out that we get in our minds and we think oh that was just me but Lord you whisper to us you nudge us so help us Father to really grasp that you want to speak to us in those quiet times and even when we're in a room full of people when we're going about our day Lord you're you're talking to us so I pray, Father, for an increase in our hearing, Lord, that we'll hear the voice of the Lord above all the other voices that try to come in, try to cause confusion, try to bring condemnation, that we will always be able to hear your voice saying, I love you.
I love you. I will never leave you. I want you close to my heart. So thank you, Father, for increased hearing for each and every one of us, Lord. Let us know. Let us sense your presence. And let us hear those whispers of love. Thank you. And Father, I pray right now, the last thing is that you would commission each and single person, every person in this, every, every person, every single person commissioned with fresh fire, fresh hope, fresh encouragement. Lord, I break off of every person who's ever heard the voice of disqualification. I silence that voice in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not be the next Billy Graham or whatever, Bill Johnson, or, but each and every person. Lord, I, I release to every person in here, in the strong name of Jesus, a fresh understanding of destiny and purpose that their life, his life, her life matters and that it matters greatly, deeply, not just to you, but to people around them. I break off shame. I break off embarrassment. I break off timidity. I break off fear and I release hope and I release courage and I release power in the name of the Lord Jesus that this church is marked this day by a transforming work of your Holy Spirit and not a single person is left behind. We will not leave here the same, not because of anyone in the human realm, but because of you in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen. Wow. My, fly, my parting shot, since we've already, the Baptists have already beat us. Several weeks ago, Charlie and I went to San Diego and, and to check on my dad, and, and um, we saw a presentation of the Hubble telescope. It changed my life. Now, I love science anyway. But we were sitting in that theater, and you know, and it was showing all the lights and stuff like that, and uh, the stars. And, and it, in one point, they took us 10 billion light years into space about as far as Hubble can see, right? Which is, how many of you can like put your head around? I can't do that. 10 billion light years. That's trillions and trillions and trillions of miles away. And I'm looking at this bunch of galaxies 10 billion light years away. And, I, and I'm thinking, God made all that, contains it in himself, and goes on forever and we are a tiny little speck that you can't even see in the universe from the nearest star which is a mere four and a half light years 26 trillion miles away that's how tiny we are and yet God says he notices when a sparrow drops to the ground and he pays attention to you to me and that thought did something in my heart it made me realize that big God is just as big in his commitment to love you, 
to change you, to call you significant. I mean, if he even notices this little speck called earth, but then he goes beyond that. That huge, infinitely inconceivable God deeply, deeply cares about you. Something in my faith for healing, for deliverance, for provision went up because that big God is always pursuing me and you. Father, would you leave that thought of pursuing gigantic God burned in our hearts along with everything else. In Jesus' name, amen.